are live for another episode of First Strike, brought to you by the good folks at FaceToFaceGames.com, the number one place to get your Magic the Gathering singles. This is KYT in the house with Doug. Really happy to see Doug in the house because he's, he's going to be playing the Pro Tour very soon. How's it going, Doug? Can't wait. I'm pumped. It's been a crazy couple weeks of work, but I'm now transitioning into full-blown Pro Tour testing mode. I'm hyped. I think some big things are going to come with First Strike Nation, this Pro Tour, and uh, I'm ready to talk about it tonight. Let's go. Uh, we also got Robert Lombardi, who's uh, trying to a, a lot, a lot of, doing a lot of YOLOing tonight. How's it going, Rob? Life's good. I, I feel like you announced Doug playing the Pro Tour as a jab that I am no longer playing that Pro Tour because I'm starting a new job. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't think we explained it on the show. So for our listeners that we're looking forward to, to rolling, YOLOing with Rolo at the PT, what's up? What's up? Yeah, so I, I, uh, I'm leaving TELUS. This week's my last week. I start at uh, BlackBerry next week, and that's the week that the PT is. So... Apparently, asking for vacation the week you start is not something that your employer appreciates, <laughs> so I'll be skipping this PT. <laughs> and since it was already deferred, uh, I was basically told that uh, it'll not be deferred to whatever the next one is, Bilbao or Madrid or something. So I'll have to uh, go back to the RPTQ circuit and try and get back on the train again. <laughs> All right. Sometimes, sometimes real life happens. And we have a special guest tonight. Matthew Dilks is in the house. Uh, he's a part of First Strike Nation, but I've got him in here because he won our awesome legacy show to at Canadian Nationals. And he actually went down to Eternal Weekend and did pretty damn well at the uh, Legacy Champs uh, goal finishing in 29th. How's it going, Matt? Doing pretty well. All right. Excited to pick your brain because I haven't touched Legacy in a while. Uh, but first, I gotta ask you, like, as a as a hardcore, are, are you a hardcore legacy player? Would you say? Yeah, uh, I dabble in all the pro tour formats, but for the most part, I just play legacy for fun. I, I want to get into the mind of, of uh, like uh, these eternal players, uh, uh, someone like yourself. Is how prestigious is Eternal Weekend uh, events? Uh. I think Eternal Weekend is mostly about vintage. It's like the the only like premier like vintage event a year, um, and kind of Legacy just gets to piggyback on that. But being the like Legacy North American champion, that's the title. You can be a Grand Prix champion, but you're just a random Grand Prix champion, even though your your championship is in Legacy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think. Just a lot of hardcore players were actually following this PT, the coverage. One of my friends, Seth Black, finished in top eights with Eldrazi. Uh, you, you played lands at the Sunday showdown. You took that down. Did you bring lands uh, down to this tournament as well? Yeah, I registered the exact 75. No changes. was uh, 100% happy with it going into the weekend. And what did you end up uh, losing to? I lose. I lost to pretty much only good matchups. Seth was actually one of my losses. He was on Eldrazi, which is a very good matchup for lands. They basically can't beat any of your game plans. Um, I lost to uh, my buddy Ed Chatwood. He was playing Delver, which is also <laughs> uh, should be a very good matchup for lands. And um, yeah, kind of. I mostly ran hot though. I can't be. I can't complain too much. I beat a lot of bad matchups. 
especially starting out after my buy. So pretty good. So I'm, I'm curious, someone, that, again, who doesn't play Legacy a lot, has there been much change in the metagame over the past year? Uh, the, um, the invention of the four-color Leoville deck as a response to just Delver and Miracles was probably the like, latest new deck. And it's stuck around since the top band, which is also probably the second biggest shakeup in Legacy in the last year. Yeah, I got a, I got a message from from Seth who said like, who, who, I just asked him about his deck, and just to reiterate what you just said, he's like, you know, his deck draws is really good at the free game, but absolutely awful against black red reanimator and Belcher and show and tell decks and lands are also concerning matchups. His only loss was against black red reanimator, and but surely enough, he was lucky enough to beat you. Yeah, I mean, he, he took an aggressive line and he got there, so. It's good that he identified his way to win and he got there, so it's good on him. He rode it all the way to the top eight, so <laughs> up to. <two. laughs> um, did you have better luck? Were you running super hot at, at the showdown? No, I just have the legacy metagame in Toronto Peg. They can't beat me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so people should play your deck if they're expecting. What type of metagame do you think? Uh, you uh, a lot of fair decks. There's Low low combo decks in Toronto. Virtually no one plays Storm, maybe one or two people, and same goes for Sneak and Show as well, which has been unfavored for a long time since Delver has been so good. So it's understandable that Sneak kind of has gone away, but yeah, a lot of fair decks in Toronto. Hmm. Uh, Rob or Doug, when's the last time you guys played Legacy? Um, okay, so Legacy is not a format I play a lot of, but some of my best friends in Edmonton adore Legacy and they play it a ton. So in MTG Alberta this weekend, you know, they're all talking about it and they're all getting really hyped about it. And uh, I guess I just have a question for you because I don't know Legacy that well, but I've played a bit and this Sultai Delver deck that took the tournament down, I feel like this deck is just hot garbage every time that I try it. Every time that I see people playing it, I just feel like Sultai Delver is like terrible. And uh, the only way I feel like it ever wins is when you just get early him to Torax or you just get lucky on your sequencing of draws. Like I'm just curious, you know, Leovold is where I like to be at when I'm Sultying. I'm just curious what your opinions are. Cause I don't know that much about legacy, but you sound like you do. So. <laughs> yeah. So I personally think uh Sultai Delver is just both worse Grixis Delver and worse Leovold at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, more Leovold at the same time. His list was pretty geared to be like very Delvery tempo. Like he had Nimble Mongooses in his deck, which I also don't like because they fight with your Deathrite Shamans. But um, not in the first place list, I don't think so. Oh, he was uh, Deathrite Delver Tarmogoyf Tombstalker was his creature package. Right. So it's, yeah, it's Tombstalker so that his standard room. Moto list, no Leovolds. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I just I just feel like Bug Delver in a lot of ways is just a worse two decks and you're just being trying to be a, a tempo deck it would also slow with him to Torak and I don't really like Tarmogoyf really yeah. it kind of sucks right now Yeah, and the other thing that's interesting about this top 8, and I'm just wondering is this just the way Legacy should be and is but uh, of the 8 decks, 7 of them played 4 main deck Force of Will and I know when I play Legacy, I can't stand playing a deck that doesn't have Force of Will. 
So I'm just kind of, I guess I'm kind of curious your opinion on the whole force of will topic. Like, do we think that you just have to be playing a force of will deck to do well in legacy or is there room for, for these other decks, like these white decks that supposedly are good that I just don't ever really see winning. Um, you're definitely taking a risk, uh, when you're not playing force of will in your deck, there are going to be the handful of storm people, belcher people, that you you have a shot at getting paired against, and you just have no shot. And uh, um, I don't think you have to play Force Will in Legacy. I mean, I've done very well not playing Force Will. I've also played a lot of Force Wills too. So um, yeah, you don't have to play Force Will to do well in Legacy. It just so happened this top eight shook out like that. Last year, this event was won by Black Green Death, so you don't have to play Force. You just have to be able to at least interact or try to win on turn one. Did you also end up playing uh, the, so the vintage was on the Thursday vintage, the vintage main event was on Friday, Friday. Did you end up playing that as well? I didn't. I was grinding for my second buy. (laughs) Did you get there? I didn't. I had opponent not concede to me in a favorable spot and they decided to <laughs> leave the buy on the table. So that sucked, especially since every 5-0 got entry into a free revised seal deck kind of thing. So he left a lot of money <laughs> on the table, but that's how it goes. Matt, that sounds really tilting. <laughs> Rob, Rob, <laughs> jump in. <laughs> yeah, pe- people, shouldn't, people shouldn't do that. I don't know why. It, what you're trying to do is you're trying to make the net you know, like you and the person you're playing should leave the table with net value. That that's how people that's how people feel like winners. If you minimize value between you and your opponent, all kinds of value, including like monetary value and fun, other utils, uh, it's going to end up poorly. So yeah, I think it, I don't know. It, it doesn't seem like it's common or known to more casual players that uh, it's more beneficial, you know, or favorable to to concede. And not get draws, but a lot of people feel like they want to draw. But draw is like literally the worst scenario that you can ever have. See, I don't know. I think this is a bit of a slippery slope, and I hate that we as gamers just have this mentality that you have to get value because it does. And I see it at Pro Tours, and it really bothers me, and especially with this new system where every quarter is so important that what it does is it leads to, in my opinion, uh, collusion and it leads to implied collusion that you just you just should collude you just should have someone scoop and then go to the side and say i owe you money because you gave me half of this revised starter deck and so i'm going to give you something I, i mean yes inherently someone should concede but i just hate that we talk about it in a way that newer players don't really understand that they have a full right to just not give you anything after that I don't know. It really bothers me. It's a huge slippery slope to collusion and at pro tours, especially when the last round, those pro points, you know, if you're going to get a draw, it's way better. You know, if someone gets more or less potentially, um, it, it could be flawed in the structure not the flaw in the play, but still, I don't know. I think it's, you gotta be really careful when we're talking about what you should do. These are the incentive system that, that we've been given. <laughs> Duck. <laughs> that doesn't mean that you should do something that is clearly forbade uh, within the rules just because the structure you can get more money off the table another way like that's not look Doug, Doug okay let's, let's say you're at, you're at an event right where only XO's prize okay 
only EXO's price. Everyone else does not price. Like, say it's like an all-or-nothing pre-release, right? And uh, there's only 16 people there, so there's only going to be one EXO. And for whatever reason, just, the structure they have is like, if you're four, you get prize. If you're, if you're not four, you don't get prize. You draw with your opponent in the last round. You're both 3-0. Like, you have the option of conceding and trying to work something out afterwards, right? Or yeah, of course. Or literally get nothing. <laughs> it's just the incentives that are given to us do not promote trying to finish the match. The incentives try to promote maximizing the value because of the disparity between getting a draw and not getting a draw. I just think that's a fight that is to do with the incentives that we need to be pushing to only support tournaments with good incentive structures and not playing in tournaments with bad incentive structures. But if we make a conscious choice to sign up for an incentive structure, pay our money to enter it, we're engaging into that structure and then we should not bend the rules around getting the most out of it. You can do like I do and not play a lot of Grand Prix and not fly to a lot of tournaments because you don't feel like you're going to be set up to get as much like learning, true learning out of that tournament. Cause I'm really just trying to improve, I'm not trying to win $300 to, you know, I don't know. I think that that's the flaw in the logic that leads to a lot of this collusion and a lot of this cheating really that's happening. And it just, it, it makes me, I don't know. It makes me uncomfortable and I can't wait to be in the spot where someone tries to put me in that position and I get to get them DQ'd. And I, I always just think the bigger name, the better. That's all I think. But so first of all, I don't think there's anything wrong with trying to maximize value between two people. If it's done above board, it, the rule system allows for it. I think that's fine. Uh, I think that they should change the incentive system. I think it is stupid that if uh, going like winning, uh, gives you everything. Drawing gets both people nothing, and losing gets you nothing. It just doesn't really make sense, right? Like, if you draw, you should just split with X. You don't have that problem, right? If a draw is, you split the prize that you're both going to yeah, get. You just don't have that problem answer. anymore. Course, it's yeah. not how the system works, right. for the most part. So this is something they need to change. And also, gamers going to game, man. They're going to maximize value wherever they can. And I don't really think you can you can blame them for that. Yeah, I remember Mike Long used to maximize value back in the day as well. <laughs> I mean, a lot of maximizing value. A lot of things that you're allowed to do. A lot of maximizing value. You're right. Gamers got a game. That's what we want our game to be. I agree. Update the incentive system if you don't want people to do things. Yeah, I agree. You're right, you but like. they don't. Sorry. Anyways, I just wanted to get up there. <laughs> Love it. Uh, Matt, any stories that you want to mention uh, coming out from, from your weekend? Um, no, not really. It was just a huge grind. 11 rounds in one, one day is a lot. Even when you have one buy, 10 is a lot. Yeah. I think Daniel Fournier can complain about uh, the number of rounds on Twitter saying like 11 rounds in one day. And then later it's like, Oh, I'll start. Oh, two. So it doesn't really matter. <laughs> can I just ask on that topic? I, I'm just curious from your perspective, do you think that for you, you, you have to do things early in a day? when you're in a long day like that to make sure that you're set up to play well in the later rounds. It's just a topic I wish that we talked about more to help other people think about that, like hydration or like food. Do you think about this stuff? Or are you someone who just falls in the trap of playing worse as the day goes on or not? I'm just curious. Uh, for me, I, I try to stay hydrated. I usually get in the zone, so I don't really get too hungry when I play tournaments, but yeah, staying hydrated is pretty important for me. And then, yeah, I just want to be in the zone and keep playing. Long rounds are brutal. That's the worst. (laughs) 
All right. Uh, let's move on to uh, to pick your brain on SCG uh, Modern. An interesting humans list just ended up taking down uh, by uh, Collins Mullen, uh, the SCG Open, and it's just all humans, four Aether Vials. There's four Kitesail Freebooters, which is the human pirates from Ixalan, uh, one, two flying for one black, one colorless. When it comes into play, target opponent reveals his or her hand. You can choose a non-creature, non-land card from it. You exile that card until Kitesail Freebooter leaves the battlefield. Pretty sweet list. A lot of people are talking about this. Um, what are your early thoughts about this list, Matt? Um, that he's an insane person. Uh, <laughs> I I played against the like Abzan version with like Collected Company a bunch, and it gets it can be pretty explosive when you hit like a bunch of Thalia's lieutenants off off Cocos and stuff. He doesn't really have access to that. He's just trying to like beat like scapeshift and stuff with like <laughs> main deck meddling mages and stuff like that. I mean, he gets to play like a million rainbow lands so that cost him no life. So that's pretty sweet. <laughs> but you, you think the Coco versions are better? Uh, I mean, I would have to play myself. I've played basically exclusively amulet for the last like half a year at, at the, uh, behest of myself at some point sometimes but uh yeah i i haven't put too much thought into brewing and modern so the other guys probably have better opinions over what what they see in this list i see a lot of small guys that can get eaten up by i don't know whatever <laughs> random and on uninteractive un- modern deck they run into <laughs> Doug, you mentioned before the show that uh, humans ha- has been a thing for a while in MTG Alberta. Uh, so, yeah, I've seen a lot of different humans iterations, and uh, one of the better ones is by a local player named Truman Yee. Shout out to Truman; he actually took down, I believe it was a modern face to face at nationals, the F two F plus series, which is a real incredible series. If you're from Canada and you haven't looked up what you get for doing well in these tournaments, you've got to go and look that up. The one in Red Deer is going to be off the chain but anyhow yeah so he's been working on a band and it's kind of like a four color band it's it's much like what matt was just mentioning it's um it's ma- mainly abs but he has some of the blue splashes because you get some some cool things out of blue and it plays instead of the aether vial it plays four cocos when i saw this list i got really excited because what you're losing in the explosiveness of coco you're gaining so much intricate play patterns off aether vial there's a lot of times where i feel like people are going to pull the trigger on certain combinations of cards that you can just blow them out by dropping a meddling mage in at instant speed. They've already started to kind of start a chain of cards or, you know, maybe cast a summoner's pact and then you just drop it in in response for primeval titan, just really warp the landscape of a game. And with the freebooter, you get a lot of hand control and information. And if you can, let's say, drop a freebooter end step uh, on their turn, you can then untap and play a meddling mage on your turn and just really gain control of how they're going to interact. And even if you know their whole hand and you know they have an instant, you play that meddling mage, they're going to use that instant and then you get to name something else. Or maybe they don't and you can lock down a key removal spell. There's just, there's a lot to this deck. Uh, the card that I'm the least high on is Mantis Rider. I'd have to see it in play, but kind of like Matt was mentioning, it, it's just doing like, it's, it's a fair kind of card in this deck where you want to be doing unfair things. You know, like Thalia, Reflector Mage, they're really just kind of oppressing what the opponents are doing. Dali's lieutenant, champion of the parish. They're trying to grow really big. Same with Mayor of Aberbrook. 
freebooter and meddling mage are trying to control the hand. So everything else has kind of a key component to it, except this random 3-3 three, three haste for three. Um, I don't love that one, but I haven't jammed a single game with this deck yet. So um, yeah, I love humans. I think that there's a lot of cool stuff out of the sideboard, as you're seeing in this deck with the, the Vithian Renegades, the Xantid Necromancer, and Offenza. There's all these you know, human Staticaster, Canonist, that also have really cool sideboard applications. It's one of the benefits for playing white. Um, but yeah, that's kind of what I think about this deck. Other than the uh, Mantis Rider, I'm kind of I'm all about it. But I'd have to have to see how how good Flying Vigilance Haste is in this format. <laughs> Man, I love I love the interactions and play patterns you, you talked about, Doug. Um, seems pretty sweet, actually. I, I think I'm going to try to build this and put this together. Rob, does this, does this type of deck excite you? I don't know. I don't get excited <laughs> for a deck like this. But I think the build is interesting. Um, I think Freebooter is probably like MVP, right? Especially with Meddling Mage. Just being able to like duress uh, or like tight hollow score them and then lock their next spell and following up with like, you know, like an annoying uh, OG Thalia seems like. You know, that's a reasonable game plan that I think a lot of decks uh, in modern would have a difficult time dealing with. I, too, am questionable on Mantis Rider, and I'm trying to look at the list to see, like, how is this card going to be useful? And I think maybe it just, like, jams for five when you have, like, Mayor and Noble Hierarch out, and you just get to play, like, a three-mana 5-5 five, five Flying Vigilance Haste, which is probably, like, okay, I guess. I don't know. It's <laughs> I'm, uh... I would need to see it in action to really be able to judge, but if it's usually just like three mana deal five to your opponent's face repeatedly, um, that seems okay, I guess. And it kind of looks like it might be like that. So you get to really go aggro in the matchups where uh, you need to, like where you're trying to race, you know, one of the modern's many broken, uninteractive decks. <laughs> of which this may become a piece of that puzzle, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it looks i don't know it's got I, I could see that i could see that finishing off uh being a five five or you know even a six six at times if you got a hmm. can you just slam mantis rider you already have a hierarch in play and then you like violin a thalia's lieutenant yeah i don't know these all seem like just fine lines <laughs> that are very annoying yeah, I'll probably slap this together and take it through a league just for the lols. <laughs> See where I end up. <laughs> Truman ended up taking, I guess he opted not to play humans at, at the Open Plus because he ended up winning the whole thing with Blue-Red Breach. So, interesting to get his thoughts on, on that list. Um, I've asked him uh, to piece together an article, and, and I think he's going to, to ship me one at some point this week. So, really excited to see his thoughts on Blue-Red Breach, but I'm going to pick his brain also. Ask him about uh, all the humans he's been playing, Doug. <laughs> yeah, humans is dope. I do also want to mention with that tournament, uh, Ted Sloan, the Iceman from Alberta, he's moved out east. He was undefeated in top eight and actually conceded to Truman in the quarterfinals. Um, so who knows? Might have been a Merfolk Day as well. I, I love Modern. I don't know why people hate on Modern. It's such a great format. There's just so much to it. I love Modern. I just want to play Modern all the time. I just, I, people always like dump on modern. For me, legacy isn't as fun because of force of will. That's a me thing. I just, I hate force of will as a card, but I do like doing broken stuff. So modern is like the perfect landscape for that. Oh, just love modern. <laughs> 
<laughs> why do you, why do you hate force force so well, Doug? I don't know. It's no fun. Why? Like, oh, look at this cool thing I'm doing. Nope. Oh yeah, you're right. I don't know. I just it's just so annoying. It's just you have this cool like combo that you're doing, and they're just like, oh yeah, you can't you can't play cards. I don't I don't like it. I'm just not a fan. You need it. Dogger. Uh, are you the kind of person that gets mad when you're playing EDH with your friends and like someone just, start, someone just starts strip mining you? No, that's awesome. I love that because it's like you have put together this plan that just demolishes me. You have thought how you want to craft your deck in a way that just oppresses how I brought my deck to the tournament. Thank you for keeping me in check. Like that's what I think. Yeah, that's force the will. No, it's not. It's actually not. It's not the same as strip mine at all because it doesn't go after a specific plan. It stops all plans. That's the difference. I like when you're zoning in on something specific. Like, oh, you're playing the strip mine deck, and I'm playing Manalist Dredge. Great strip mines you got there, right? Like, it's 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 going for one slice of the pie, right? You're targeting the pumpkin pie. You're not targeting the apple pie. Whereas, you know, basically. Playing Force of Will, you're just like, no, no, you don't get any pie. No one gets pie. And I just, I'm not a fan of that. All right. I mean, with that analogy about pie, I, I can't argue with you, I guess. I mean, pie is pretty good, so we should share the wealth. I don't know. I just I hate Force of Will. I don't know, Matt, do you love Force of Will? I'm sorry if I'm, like, so against you. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's just an important card in the format. Even when I'm playing Force of Will, I don't want to be playing Force of Will. It's just you have to play exactly. it. That's exactly <laughs> it. If it didn't exist, then we would be all belching each other, and Legacy wouldn't be a format. <laughs> what if Force of Will existed in Modern? No one would do anything fun. Every deck would suck. You'd probably have a blue control deck that isn't complete garbage. Speaking of which, I heard Watsi might unban something after the PT, they said. They said that they were thinking about unbanning things in Modern, but that they weren't going to unban anything until at least the PT. So the PT gets to be a bunch of Death Shadow decks, or I mean Five Color Humans decks, I guess. And then uh, after that, they will unban Jace. That's what I feel. I feel Jace is getting unbanned. No, it's Bloodbraid Elf. Hondo P. Okay, well, if it's Bloodbraid Elf, then it's also definitely Jace. I think that Bloodbraid Elf, like, right now, that card is so fine. A format of card is so fine in this format right now. Yeah, that's why I want to unban Jace. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying I'm on Team Bloodbraid Elf, okay? That's it. All right, if we have to pick a side, I'll take Team Jace. You can take Team BBE. Sure, and if they both I'll, get I'll be, unbanned, ha- I'll be way happier if Bloodbraid Elf is unbanned, though. Me too. I, oh, I do that love card that card. Is so fun. <laughs> Imagine this human's deck. You can hit a Mantis Rider and attack for six. It's an elf. It's an elf, isn't it? Yeah, but who cares? It's a Bloodbraid Elf, right? Three cards. I don't care you about the human. You can't play it in humans. I'm sorry. It's not a lot. I Vile. I'll just take it up to four. <laughs> I don't need this Ziggurat. This Ziggurat doesn't do anything. Unclaimed territory? Get out of my deck. Let's go. You're going to give Dilks an aneurysm here. I can see him twitching. <laughs> Aether Vile doesn't work with Cascade. <laughs> so, oh, I can attack for playing. three. Your old plan's busted. <laughs> Why is it busted? That card is busted. That's what's busted is Bloodbraid Elf. Okay, I can't argue with that. Bloodbraid Elf is busted. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember on which episode uh, to wrap up on the modern SCG. One of us were talking about speculating on whether some of the new merfolks would see play. And uh, in Iceman Ted Sloan's list, 
we don't, I don't think we see that. He's playing like a straight mono blue list, uh, pretty stock looking from the old days. In the SCG, though, in fourth place, uh, someone played a blue green list, uh, Jeremy Bertarioni, uh, played a bunch, and a lot of them, the one Kupala, a card that we thought, I think some of us speculated maybe it would make a splash in modern, uh, but more copies of like green uncommons. Uh, Kumana's Speaker makes the cut here. Merfolk Branchwalker made the cut in this top four list. So excited to see if this uh, becomes the Merfolk list to build moving forward. Um, really curious about this. Merfolk Branchwalker, just a 2-1. Explores. Kumana's Speaker gets plus one, plus one. As long as you control, so a 2-2 Merfolk for one. Hmm. Doesn't seem that that impressive to me, but uh, maybe maybe it's a new hot tech. <laughs> the branch walker is just like another silver gill adept. So it's like if you like silver gill adept, it's it's performing a very very similar uh, role, I guess, in a way. So I think that's why that it fits in nicely. Speaker's interesting because they cut curse catcher, I guess, right? For this? Yeah, yeah, they cut curse catcher. So. Yeah, I don't know. I guess maybe just being that much more aggressive is good. I uh, I know some people that are very into merfolk as a lifestyle, so I'll ask them what they think about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a deck choice. It's a lifestyle. Once you get into merfolk, that's it. <laughs> All right. Um, Matt, have you, have you been playing much standard? Uh, not really. The, the last... Uh, PBTU season was modern, but I won a limited one anyway. And so basically, after Marvel got banned, I stopped playing standard. I just played Teamer at Nationals. How'd you, how'd you end up doing? Oh, well, Rob pushed you to, to the showdown, right? Yep. <laughs> what, what happened there? We had a great match, Car. <laughs> I'll let Dilks explain it. <laughs> My. My draft deck sucked very badly. Uh, it was mono three twos that couldn't beat one force, and Rob just cur- uh, eventually cast all his powerful merfolk, and I can't win. I have three twos that gave me two life. Yeah, every time uh, Dilks looked like he was going to kill me, he'd like Mark of the Vampire up something sweet on his side of the board, and I would just immediately draw Entrancing Melody and take it. <laughs> That was our match for the most part. <laughs> Better luck than good. Take it out. <laughs> <laughs> I have no good cards. I had to. I have to YOLO. <laughs> it's fair. It's fair. Um, all right, um, Matt. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I don't know if do you have a Twitter account. If people want to pick your brain uh, on lands, where, where could they find you? Yeah, it's it's Matt Dilks. Itz. <laughs> sweet sweet is that the best place people can reach you at probably i don't know no no one i don't really use it that much but if people want to ask me about something i'll answer it all right all right let's get let's uh, get some questions if you're you're into legacy if you're into lands and uh want to jam some more legacy you can pick matt's brain on twitter uh, thank you so much for coming on man no problem really appreciate it really really appreciate it all right Watch the rest of the show from the sidelines. All right. See you in the chat. (laughs) Bye, Matt. Yeah. That was Matthew Dilks. Ended up winning the Sunday showdown at Nationals and 29th 
at the Legacy Champs at Eternal Weekend. So pretty impressive with his record. Um, I know that uh, shout out to my boy Frankie Richard, who's probably mad at me because of the different reasons I'm getting the guests on. Like, what's next? A guy that four owes a, a pre-release? No, I, I think winning the second Legacy Showdown is significantly more impressive and also finished 29th at the Eternal Weekend Legacy Champs is quite impressive and a good reason to be on. This isn't like, hey, I just foiled an f and type of guy. So shout out again to Matt. Thanks for coming on. So let's get to the meat and potatoes uh, of Standard. But before that, a lot of people wanted us to comment on the fact that a lot of the notable cheaters um, in, in the past couple of years are finally going to be back and be allowed to play again. Like Jared Betcher, Brunchini. What are your early thoughts about that, Rob? Yeah, so I, I feel that a lot of people are, uh, you know, kind of pitchforks at the ready. Because <laughs> these guys were like, uh, not just cheaters, they were like savage cheaters, right? Like compulsive cheaters, if you will. Like they were like caught on camera multiple times or have been banned multiple times for cheating. So it's understandable to be kind of angry that they're allowed to play again. Because in all likelihood, they will resort back to, to cheating. But I think since we are supposed to be a progressive society, we should give them the benefit of the doubt until they, you know, kind of give us some otherwise. So I'm fine with them serving their time, coming off the ban list, and being allowed to play. Like, these are the rules that, you know, this, the system we have allows for. Um, I think if you want to watch them more closely, than you would a normal opponent if you if you get paired against them. I think that you know that's their curse, right? Like that's their burden to own. They they deserve that. Um, and I think if they get caught doing even something that seems sketchy, they'll probably be added back to the ban list real quick. So I don't think there's a lot of harm to the community to to have them there. Maybe they're reformed. Maybe they're not. If they're not, I'm sure they'll be kicked out, you know, rather quickly. And some of them are probably very close to, uh, you know, their last strike, <laughs> as it were. Right. Well, what are your thoughts, Doug? Yeah, Rob pretty much summed up my point. I think that you can't, I personally think you can't assume someone who once was a cheater is still a cheater. I do believe that people have a chance in life to grow and to change. I'm not saying that they definitely have grown or changed. That is yet to be seen. I just don't like judging these type of things before, you know, something has happened. I think the plan of monitoring them carefully and having little to no leniency with them is very, very appropriate. And if they're frustrated that they get less leniency than other people, they need to just remember that they screwed up in the first place, which is what got them into this spot. It's just like in the legal system in the real world, when there's the whole first strike, you might get a less punishment than second strike, might get a less punishment than third strike. For many crimes out there, I think it should be the same thing here. If you get caught and it's sketchy and, oh, man, I forgot. Oh, I forgot that I, I didn't mean to do draw another card. I didn't. Uh, well, sorry, you're banned for life. you got to play more carefully. That's your penalty for being a cheater in the past. If you're not a cheater and you actually are playing the game properly now and cleanly, see no reason why you shouldn't be allowed to be a part of the community personally. I believe in reform. I'm actually against a lot of the, if you ever cheated in your career once, you can't get into the Hall of Fame, Garbo, personally, but that's yet another discussion for another time. I just believe in letting people prove what their actions, if they are or aren't, and having a very, very diligent, firm stance. And yes, it's harder maybe to monitor them, 
but you you can make public service announcements. You can post, hey, you know, be really diligent with you see something, report it. Like judges aren't always around. Get that to become part of vernacular before every tournament. So people know that the right step to take when they see something they're just thinking is a bit sketchy is to alert a judge. You know, there's ways to get the policing better so that we don't even need to up our judge staff. We just need players trained more to utilize the judge staff. Right. I like, I like that. Uh, Doug, what are your early preparations of for Pro Tour Excellence? Since you are going out of uh, the two of you, <laughs> you're actually attending. How's it looking like? And uh, what's how's standard looking like to you? Are you, are you in, still in the early stages of brewing? What's it like? Yeah, I'm super hyped. I don't know. Should I, before I get into the specifics of the deck, talk about who I'm like preparing with and testing with? Would now be a good time to... Yeah. Matt, I don't know if people know in the nation, but uh, really cool uh, kind of opportunity came about when I was talking to KYT. There's this Pro Tour team series, and we wanted to put together a team to represent this podcast, to represent First Strike, and to be team First Strike wearing, uh, wearing jerseys at the PT. And I kind of started this idea with Rob Lombardi, myself, and the first person we brought on was Dean McLaren because he couldn't be on a team with, uh, with Sean because Sean's on an all-gold team. And we kind of started to pick uh, players that would you know, be good ambassadors for this team. Most of them that we started picking in the early phase have actually been guests on this team, on this podcast. Um, with 24 hours to go before the Pro Tour, Rob, or sorry, 24 hours to go before I had to submit my package for approval. Rob, as you said earlier, couldn't go to the Pro Tour. So we picked up uh, a young spry fellow from Alberta to jump on the team. Uh, but the team and who I've been kind of talking a lot with is there's me, there's Dean McLaren, there's Rob Anderson from Face to Face Games uh, employee, as well as one of the uh, two Robs who've beaten me in quarterfinals of GPs. Uh, we have Vidianto Ajaya, amazing player. We have Daniel Fournier, friend of the cast. And uh, we have Matt Kelly, my friend from uh, Alberta. And between uh, those six of us that I mentioned, uh, Dean is testing with a different team, but we have a group that includes Sammy T. Uh, it includes a couple of Daniel Fournier's friends. And uh, we, we started talking a lot about standard. Now, I'm not going to get into everything that we've talked about between our group, just because the Pro Tour is right around the corner, but I will tell you my personal uh, process. I have been really busy at work. Um, so I decided to just lock in really early on a deck or an archetype and just do everything I can to prepare the most tuned list of that deck for the pro tour. And I think people get so caught up sometimes when they're looking at standard deck choices in picking the best deck for the tournament. And that's a great philosophy. As long as you are proficient at playing that deck, because if you start playing against people, let's say in the teamer mirror that are just way better teamer players than you, you're going to lose. Even if teamer is the best deck. I don't want to lose. So I figure I'm going to lock in on a Hazaret deck. That's where I've, I've told the team weeks ago. I let them know that, that I'm going to lock in on a Hazaret deck, and I'm just going to work on Hazaret decks. I want to beat down. I want to get under people. But I'm going to pick the best Hazaret deck for the weekend and the best tuned sideboard and mainboard configurations. There's a lot of Hazaret decks to choose from, and I haven't picked which one I want fully yet. These are just some samples off the 5.0 deck lists. I'm not going to talk about things outside of the 5.0 deck lists uh, that you can find on Goldfish because, you know, if we have other decks and other tech that we want to keep, you know, that'll all come out. But I guarantee you I'll be rolling in with Hazrets and Lightning Strikes at this Pro Tour. Uh, there's a really cool black-red aggressive deck that I saw that actually plays for Night Market Lookout. 
in the main deck and four Aether Sphere Harvester and zero Heart of Karens. So it tries to, it's, it's almost mono black, except it has Hazard and Lightning Strike. Those are two red cards. We're trying to fit Key to the City in there as well, because that card is just dope. And uh, it just tries to get in really fast, Scrap Heap Scroungers, Dread Wanders, you know, Fatal Pushes, just really try and get in under them. And you can go, you play Glintsleaf Siphoners, which are just an incredible two drop uh, that just give you so much value. The Harvesters build energy for the Siphoners to draw cards. Um, and then you top it off with Hazret. And since it has so many cheap cards, you just get in under people. That's a deck I'm really high on. Uh, Rob shared a really cool list that uh, was from the 5-0 deck lists that's more of a red based than a black based. And uh, it has uh, it has done operative in it, which is really cool because it's a two drop 2-2 two, two that gets bigger uh, if you have artifacts. Um, it is also a hazard deck with unlicensed disintegration, which my list isn't playing currently, but since it's more artifact heavy, you get to get into the unlicensed disintegration and it's a heart of Kieran deck. Uh, so that's really cool. I'm also really liking some of the rounding up red lists right now. I think lightning strike just does a lot of work to have this cheap, efficient removal spell that can also go to the face and end game. Um, and the, one of the lists that got, uh, uh, second at an SCG standard classic in Charlotte is one that I'm kind of liking right now. Um, it's it's pretty standard, but it has four shock, four braid, four lightning strike, and I just like that eight of the burn spells can go face, and you have four braids to check all the annoying artifacts. Um, and it has harsh mentors in the sideboard for them, which is really cool. It's a card I haven't put in a lot of testing with, but I think harsh mentor is pretty cool right now in this format. So yeah, those are just kind of some of the public lists that are out there. You know, of course in the team, we're talking about more specific stuff and certain people have ideas that uh, I might take to the pro tour uh, that I just don't really want to share all of those right now. Cause they're not my ideas, but uh, I will tell you like I'm full disclosure. I'm locking in Hazaret and I'll be sharing my journey as I go through the pro tour, letting everyone know in the nation kind of what I'm landing on. Uh, and keeping you all updated from there. I'm also thinking about running a vlog, like Chian does a vlog, but I'm thinking about doing a vlog that every day I post the day's worth of vlog just to the nation so they can kind of see my day as it's going, day to day, what I'm actually doing at the end of the day, and then I'll edit it together and post it as like an actual video like the Chlog or whatever. So that's another thing I'm going to do for this Pro Tour. Snapchat King, man. You oh yeah, Snapchat too. You hit me up on that Snapchat, you're gonna get some uh, get some dope reveals. Let me tell you, that Bosu reveal was legendary. <laughs> Rob, what do you what do you think about uh, Doug's early thoughts here on right track? Yeah, I I think so. Like uh, you know, I was pushing uh, very aggressive at you know light hazard based decks, um, kind of this whole standard process, and I think. That's probably a place that you'd want to be. But the thing about the PT is like you can almost be assured that the very best players are going to be playing teamer. Like unless they find something that were is not visible to us in the metagame right now, right? And they, they kind of truly break it, if you will. But it, it's I think it's the metagame is very diverse and it'd be very hard. I would be surprised, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. If there was a deck that was just like hands down, like just the nut, right? That that no one has saw or seen before. Um, so I think that a lot of them will be on teamer because they rightly believe that uh, they can outplay their opponents and, and win the mirrors, which will be very prevalent. So if you don't think that, you know, you have a very good chance of out teamering Owen Turnwald and, and Reed Duke and a bunch of the other platinum pros, then I would want to play a deck that is tuned to 
take advantage of the fact that they're a little bit of a slower deck. And I think Hazaret is a very, very good place uh, to be. It's I played Timur for a while, and Hazaret is still an annoying card to deal with, even with being able to make Thopters. But, uh, you know, red base decks have a bunch of tools to deal with, you know, the uh, World of Virtuoso. Um, I like Frosadon in the main deck. I saw a bunch of ramming up red decks like that at Nats, and uh, I think that's a pretty good addition. I think Oncrop Crasher is probably, like, at an all-time low in terms of usefulness, given that, like, random B... BWX tokens decks can block for days. So, like, his exertability is not exactly uh, the nut, I guess, right now. It's not just like Scarab Gods on the other side that you want to punch through some damage. So, uh, I really like that swap on, on Carb Crasher for Frozodon. Um, and I'm starting to see some some pickup of Harsh Mentor as well. So, I think Doug's onto something there, noticing that. Uh, the people in the Facebook, uh, like in the First Strike Nation, were on to Harsh Mentor like weeks ago, and I was just in denial that it might be good. <laughs> but like, if you just think about what's in the Teamer deck, like the only thing it doesn't hit is like Rogue Refiner and uh, and Glorybringer. So it's actually a pretty annoying card for them if you stick it and uh, and they can't deal with it right away. So, so yeah, I think uh, I think Doug's going to do well. Hopefully, uh, we can work as a team. I'm still loosely involved in the testing process. <laughs> so I'll be helping them uh, tune the final lists, uh, hopefully, uh, this weekend. Um, but yeah, I hope everyone does well. Sad that I can't go, but I still want a t-shirt. My deal. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I think maybe because I, I lost my sponsor, I think maybe my sponsor, part of my jersey, should just be Robert Lombardi's face. <laughs> Um, so that I have my like first strike shirt, but I've just got Rob on my shoulder, uh, the angel on the shoulder or devil you choose. And uh, he's there just supporting me my entire way through the pro tour. They probably won't allow it. So I might just have it as a Velcro. Okay. What's if you want to put a Velcro patch, I can make a Velcro removable badge that I can actually just put on. And then before pictures or when I get feature matches, I can remove just because, you know, liability. Um, <laughs> I mean, this sounds fantastic. <laughs> okay, I, I love it. Um, so, Rob, if you were if you were playing, uh, let's say tomorrow, PPTQ, what were you jamming? Uh, I would probably just run back my red white list from uh, from Nats with like a couple changes. Um, I think like the base list catches a lot of people off guard if they don't know what's going on, and uh, I was pretty happy with the performance at Nats. I honestly really should have been 6-0 if I wasn't terrible at Magic. I probably would have been. Um, but even though I'm, I'm bad, uh, I still managed to 5-1 standard. I played against a lot of teamers, so I think uh, the local metagame would be uh, in the same boat, and I would look to, to play that. But it's not a deck like you just pick up and, and jam. You need to like run some games with it, because uh, it's kind of a deck where you're like really picking your spots on, uh, on when you want to like push the pedal like all the way uh all the way down and, and, and try and kill your opponent when you need to like kind of be a little more finessey about your uh your movements to try and catch them off guard. So it's probably not for everyone, but uh yeah if you don't if you like Mardu but you don't have a list that you love, I would I would probably look to uh to run this. I just I hate three color mana bases in standard right now. They just look so disgusting. I cannot figure out a way to make them look uh reasonable. Especially because you have to play four spire. And just like makes like Dragon Skull Summit and the other cards like just so much worse. It's just so much tap mana 
in Mardu. It's just, uh, it's not great. It's a sad, it's a sad day. Sad standard right. for three color decks. Doug, any other thoughts on standard, or would you like to tell us about your draft, your draft prep, or how? Well, how I'll, finish, I'll finish standard first. I think this format's super fun. Um, you know, even if you just look at the metagame snapshot uh, on snapshot, that's not a word. Snapshot on uh, MCG Goldfish. You know, you've of course got Team Energy, but then there's red, there's Abzan tokens, white blue control is being played, um, Sultai Energy. Esper Gifts, Smart Vehicles, Esper Tokens. There's a lot of decks, and I, I think that there's a chance that some of these can, um, that uh, so, some of these ones can excel at the Pro Tour, even if they're not the number one or two decks. So I'm having a lot of fun. Games are pretty interactive, and you have to, uh, you have to really think a lot about all of your possible options. You don't just prepare for the mirror match and teamer. So I'm loving Standard. Um, you know, there's there's been some cool approach to the Second Sons lists of different color combinations like red-white that have appeared. And, uh, you know, there's decks from last format that I have to think, is there a way to make one of these refurbished God Pharaoh's gifts deck work? In this new era with cards like Hostage Taker, Explore cards, you know, um, different things like that. Uh, so, yeah, I'm loving Standard. Um, I probably, if I wasn't, you know, so constricted at my last two weeks of work, I would have been a bit more open to different decks to play but um i think that something sean mclaren has taught me is sometimes not playing the right deck but playing the right deck for you will get you just a lot better results seeing him show up to like pro tour hawaii with a kind of weird red green beatdown deck that most people didn't think was good even in the end and he ate two i think with it or um seeing the success he's had in standard he's he's gotten top 25 at quite a few pro tours just playing decks that are good for him so Gonna give it a try. Now for a draft, I've done some drafts and on top of doing drafts, I've talked to a lot of different people. Kind of my process with Limited and why I had success, I think, at GP Toronto. So I'm very good at asking people the right questions to get them to share with me their opinions. And then getting a lot of different people to give me their opinions on a format and seeing what overlaps between all of them. Because I know we all have biases and play preferences. I know that someone who's better at thinking about outs is going to do better with a more mid-range or control draft deck than a person who's really good at combat math that is really good at knowing when they can turn the corner to race. Um, everyone has different skills and tendencies. So I just try and get an overall picture of where I can slot myself into with, with minimal reps. Um, probably not the best advisable strategy for most of you out there. You should probably just jam a lot of games, but I don't jam a lot of games in limited. Uh, so where am I going with this? I've talked to a lot of people and uh, one of the people that I just was like instantly I need to ask his opinion on is A.O. Paquette because he has just a ton of trophies on Magic Online. Like at the time I asked him, he was in first place with like a 10 trophy lead um, at, the, at the time that we had his conversation. I don't know if he still is, but uh, I just asked him because, you know, I've, I've known him for a while about his draft format and uh, advice. And then I looked against my spreadsheet of my data and I came to the conclusion that I don't want to be green in this format to draft. That's kind of what I'm going into the Pro Tour with is avoid green. Um, and those were his words that he shared to me that reflected my, my green-black decks have not done so good. My Merfolk decks do good, but only when I get all of the Merfolk. So yes, if I get all of the Merfolk, of course I'm going to go into Merfolk. It's like insane when you get it. But you just don't get it as often as the other decks. Um, Blue-red is a kind of like an outlier. Or sorry, not blue-red, sorry. Um, Green red is an outlier for me that it's the one green deck that I feel like I can kind of get into pretty easily and succeed with as far as the rest of the green decks. But, you know, the other ones like green, white, 
you just need the right kind of cards to come in the right order and to have your opponents not really be um, too removal heavy and let your tricks be very punishing. So my strategy is to avoid green at all costs if possible. And uh, the decks that I'm having the most success with that I want to look if they're open are red, white, red, black, red, blue, blue, black, and black, white. Um, those are kind of the five. Um, Vampires black white is can be kind of polarizing, but I just think that if you can get those deacons, the the five mana three threes, you know, it just makes all of these other cards in your deck that are medium just become quite good. Um, it, it lets those uh, the queens, whatever it's called, that makes two one one life linkers. Just now you have these three powered life linkers coming in. That three two that makes a one one life linker. If you curve that into a deacon, it's just ridiculous. You have two three power creatures, one of them life link attacking. Or a five power creature that you can, if you just have a three power vampire attacking. Um, I really like some of the equipment in this format more than I thought I would. Uh, like in the pirate deck, especially that dagger, I like quite a bit. And it's something we've talked about before here on the cast, but when you get those enchantments, either the blue or the black enchantment that makes your creature bigger, like uh, it's so ridiculous. It's so hard to compete with Mark of the Vampires or I don't remember what it's called, but the blue one um, that gives flying. So that's kind of where I'm at in this format. Avoid green. And uh, yeah, try to go red, white, red, black, red, blue, black, blue, or black, white. Those are kind of the five that I'm hoping I can get into at the Pro Tour. Rip them to shreds, Rob. Uh, unfortunately, like most of what he said made sense. Um, so I, I agree that like green is probably the weakest color because the like I I think blue green is the best deck when it comes together. I think you're right, but it doesn't always come together. And and the packs in in Ixalan are, are like very weird sometimes. Where like they're just like devoid of any uh, of certain tribes. <laughs> if you like hit a couple of those packs in a row, your draft can go like you know south very quickly. Uh, so in the beginning, it's probably better to uh, try and stay in a more open or um, I don't know scalable archetype like. Blue-red doesn't really need to be pirate-themed to be good. Uh, I think that deck's fine. Same with white-red. Seems to be like that as well. I, I've seen like some white-black decks that uh, end up not being train wrecks. If you need to be light on the vampire theme, there's still some other good cards there, and you can uh, backdoor into like a reasonable attempt at a control deck. So I, I think that's good. Um, but yeah, the other green decks are just terrible. Like Green-red is is okay, but it's not great. Uh, green black is terrible and green white is also just terrible <laughs> so uh, yeah you just think about the color pairs it, it, it seems reasonable so the only green, good green cards are, are, uh, are merfolk really and um, they'll probably be highly sought after at your table since people know the deck is lit um, and you only want to jump in when the, the signal uh, is green I guess pardon the pun um, I think that uh, if you do end up in a seat where it's unfortunately correct for you to draft green dinosaurs, the only success I've ever had, except for when my deck is like, you know, I, like a homebrew, is, uh, is using like cobbled wings to get those dumb idiots like uh, over the other side and at your opponent's face, which is like kind of weird because the card was so bad when it was originally printed in uh, Innistrad or Dark Ascension or something like that. It was like completely unplayable. But uh, I think if you're playing green dinos, you you really do want a cobbled wings uh, in your deck. Um, and I've heard people tell me that they've had very good success playing even two of the stupid things. I'm not sure I'm ready for that jump yet. I'm just playing one when I can. 
but uh, you know, making the three power and four power guys fly or the six six trampler is a good way to to close out the game quickly. And the deck like just doesn't have a reasonable way to do that, and it can't um, it can't put enough pressure on the board uh, early to kind of like make those cards useful. So your opponent just gets a chump block while they hit you with like a six six flying life linking uh, build a dragon or whatever. So so yeah, and the green rule is not really great in this set uh, either, unless you're like you know really lucky curving out with like a savage stomp on on turn four after yeah. playing like a. It's weird, isn't it? You'd expect Savage Stomp to be ridiculous, and you know, in other formats, these green cards just having the ability to fight seems so good. I just think it's because a lot of these like high power, low toughness creatures exist. Yes, yeah, especially so, the, the cheap dinos. Yeah, are, like three ones for two. You know, and, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Makes it harder to fight them because you have to have a four toughness creature for it to even live, and by that point, they could just have a trick. Yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting. It's what I love about Limited. Limited is the best. Oh, I used to hate Limited. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. It definitely, it definitely is the best. Um, but yeah, I think all, all the kind of the details we went over before about like Mark of the Vampire being way better than it, it seems and being actually like a key uh, card in the format is all still true. And uh, a card that keeps going up and up on my pick order list is Dive Down. If I'm in blue, I really, really want Dive Down because there's not a lot of great ways to interact. And if you blank your opponent's contract killing on something that you're you know, likely to win the game with, that's usually sealing the deal uh, right there. So I think Dive Down is like, oh, just a very important card that you want in pretty much all of your blue decks uh, since they're likely running one with the wind. How, uh, how high are you on the red uh, attacking creatures get plus two plus O card that I think also can give Trample? The Dino Stampede or something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never had that card be good for me, so I just stopped playing it. I think there's like some weird red white tokens you type of deck where like you thought you were white vampires and then you ended up white red trying to cobble together this mess. You have a bunch of McKindy aeronauts or whatever they, they're calling the one three flyers and a bunch of Queen's commissions. But uh I don't know. It's uh I don't think it's good. I, I haven't never cast it in a dino deck. It just like didn't come up. Um, and it didn't seem like it was going to be great in any scenario, but yeah, I'd be interested to know. Have you played with it at all? I mean, I've been told it's really good and I've had the same experience you've had. So that's why I was kind of asking you. Cause maybe the people, uh, the people that are telling me that it's good are just wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I've had, I've had, uh, I've had some similar experiences. Yeah, I've never, I've never lost to the card. Which, if it, if it's great, I may have lost to Pirates Cutlass a lot. That's how I know the card's insane. <laughs> like, most of the games I lose are to Mark of the Vampire, Pirates Cutlass, and One with the Wind, <laughs> which are, are kind of the three, my three favorite cards in the set. So, uh, I'm on the right track in in building dragons. I think that's what this format's all about. Yeah, man, I love building me some dragons, <laughs> Dino dragons, Pirate dragons. That's right. Oh my. <laughs> wow, I, I I wanted some more more arguing, but that that didn't work out. There's a oh sorry, just before we uh, move on to the next topic or close the show or whatever's going on, uh, there's a blue black deck that I think Jabberwocky popularized on Moto. That's like a tempo pirates deck with like Aetherborn and Freebooter, and then it just has like the normal blue black cards like Your Hulk and. Uh, Scarab God that I think if you're looking for something fresh and you don't want to play like, you know, kind of what's been out there a lot, this deck looks like it should have a decent matchup against Teamer. 
and can side into to a deck that is good against aggro or good against the other control decks. So um, I think this this deck is probably worth picking up and seeing if there's any legs there. I know I played against it in a couple leagues, and it was like really annoying when they just like free boot you on turn two, take what's relevant, and then just kind of like start playing more powerful spells and and removing key threats. So like when they get to do their thing, it's uh, it's a pretty reasonable deck. That oh, sounds cool. I'm gonna have to check that out. Vasco's Contempt is also uh, featured in the list, and that card is apparently that very card good. Is so good! <laughs> oh my goodness! Even in some of these decks, like I was telling you, these Hazard decks I'm playing in standards, they're like black-based Hazard decks. Um, man, Vasco's Contempt just lets you deal with so many problematic things, like Glorybringer before it comes in, help you in the race, or. Chandra's gods. gonna oppress you. Opposing gods, scarab god, that card is so hard to deal with. And if you just have this board of one ones and two twos and like a harvester and a lookout and they've got a scarab god going, you can just kill that guy. Girl, it's over. I wonder <laughs> if Locust God is gonna see any play actually. Like, that card was kinda like reasonable before rotation. It's yeah, kinda like falling off the map completely, and I don't know if it's terrible. Like it, it creates chump blockers for days. So there's like a ramp deck, I wonder. Because like one of the things I just think about that card is if you can play like, you know, two drop ramp creature into one of those stupid gift of paradise type things and maybe a removal spell. And then boom, you smash them with a locust god. I don't know. It, I haven't found anything like that to work. And I'm playing Hazard deck, so I'm not the guy <laughs> to be testing it. Hazard and Locust God, the the Nambo. <laughs> Alrighty. Um, we're going to wrap up the show, but uh, obviously before I wrap up, it would be terrible of me not to talk about the big news from our sponsor, Face-to-Face Games. Today they announced their ProTorm Team Series team, brand new team with six fresh faces, faces headed <laughs> from Face-to-Face, headed by Team Captain Eric Frolick. Uh, there's going to be Corey Burkhart, Gabriel Nassif, David Williams, Ben Rubin, Rich Owen will be part of the new uh, team face-to-face games report our Ixalan wall and for the 2017 to 2018 season. Lots of fresh new faces, um, lots of them known for their poker skills and uh, Nassif being one of the best players of all time. Ifro at one point during his prime years was considered like one, if not the best player uh, at the time. So when he, when he has his A game, he's a huge threat. We got Rich Hoen, limited master, um, ben Rubin, known for some of his decks in the past. So a lot, a lot of star power uh, on this team, and uh, I think people are excited uh, for this team as well, uh, given the feedback that I've seen on social media, whether it be Facebook or Twitter. Of course, there's always, whenever there's a team thing, there's always questions. Um, but less, I, I see less of what uh, we saw last time, where people are confused when someone's writing for a site but working for a different team because like the Pro Tour team series is at least forcing you uh, for your uniform to have the team, the logo of your team, to be front and center. And you could have other sponsors around that logo, but everyone that's working at, at least on the same Pro Tour team series team will be on the same team. So that's pretty cool to see. So that's their team. And uh, what do you think of the looks of it, Rob? <laughs> yeah, this team looks pretty great actually <laughs> it's always a uh, kind of funny to, to see these teams build up and you're like oh wow like that team's got a lot of like very talented people on it right um but then you know the pro tour is uh is an interesting place where 
there's a lot of factors that go in and uh and you need to make the right selection you come to the right conclusions and then make the right selection then get lucky and then play well to 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 do good right so it'll be interesting how everything shakes up but i definitely think that they're uh i would say at least favored for being able to do something notable uh by the end of the year so uh yeah yeah good on face i think they put together a pretty good squad i think also that that squad should probably also play some some poker events yeah i was gonna say this is team (laughs) poker stars right like to face to face uh, and poker stars like make a deal because these guys are like (laughs) super good poker players or just you know smart people in to do with gambling like rich hohen you know has a past career working for pinnacle that team is great team is super good i'm so jealous i'm wearing a face shirt and like i'm gonna get crushed by these people (laughs) oh no i don't think so um no, I, I think this team is great. I think it's a good look for face-to-face. You know, I love Hayne. Hayne's great, but come on, man. How can face argue with repping these six people? I don't know how it got this way. I don't need to know how it got this way. All I know is this team is sick. And uh, I love cheering for face-to-face. I love cheering for Canada. And this team has a little splash of Canadian Hoenn in it. And uh, <laughs> Corey Burkhardt is a gem. That guy, man, like when I played him in uh, Costa Rica, he's just so kind so friendly you know he's the type of person i like rooting for you know david williams has had an interesting career where there was times where you know he'd been looked down on just because of you know getting dq'd in the top eight of worlds but now is definitely an upswing where he's well revered he's someone i love talking to at tournaments he's super nice super friendly super funny uh he brings kind of this edge where he has this world series of poker thing that people think about him outside of magic um nasif also man nasif is stacked um, I'm hyped. Hall of Famers in there. Little, you know, little Ruben show. I don't know. I'm pumped for face to face. It's a good team. Um, they're gonna, they're gonna, you know, have to remember though that they sponsor the First Strike podcast. So really, we are the ones that are pushing the content, and they're gonna remember that when they get attacked by Hazard on turn four. Um, so <laughs> hopefully, uh, hopefully, there's no salt there, and they still are willing to. To sign my check. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> that was good. Well said, Doug. Well said. <laughs> yeah, I won't get into the nitty gritty of, of how all, all this stuff goes down. I, I don't know too too much, but uh, it's always the questions are interesting because, um, you know, just teams from across the world work together. It's not, uh, there's always questions of like, why isn't the whole team Canadian and stuff like that. Like that's been a question we've been asked since like team matter deprived started like uh, broadening the horizons and, and working with other people. And, and, you know, then like PV joined the team when it became team face to face. So there's a lot of things that, that make it a team. It's not really at this point, region focused or region based. A lot of teams get together and they're just from different parts of the world. Uh, and for, for like a first strike team, they, they don't like across country, it's people across the country. So um, that's how some teams get put together. Um, and that's all I say about that. But uh, super excited about this team. And you can remember to check out live coverage at twitch.tv slash magic. It's coming in basically two weeks, less than two weeks now. So uh, super excited to root for Doug. Yeah, get stack. those Twitter hashtags going. Hashtag Team Doug. Hashtag Team First Strike. I want to see those a lot, especially hashtag Team First Strike. Show the people that we are, you know, a team to follow. 
I'm going to be putting in a sponsorship offer if I qualify for the second pro tour with Red Bull. I want to be sponsored by Red Bull. I want to be that guy on site handing out Red Bull samples. My <laughs> Rob Lombardi patch. I'm going to rip off the face of Rob. I'm going to put a Red Bull there. Might even get a face of Rob Lombardi holding a Red Bull <laughs> if I get that sponsorship deal. But we need your help. I need to show them that we can get hashtag Team First Strike trending <laughs> nationwide, Canada wide. Let's even just get it Edmonton wide, okay? Proxy your IP addresses so that they think you're tweeting from Edmonton. We just need it trending, okay? Team First Strike is going to happen. We're going to win. You better wait for that picture. You know, we make that goofy picture. We're all smiling. Just you wait. I might dab. I haven't decided yet. Something's happening. <laughs> I feel like Doug is on Red Bull right now. That's what's going on. I may or may not have woken up from a long nap at 5.30 p.m. and started chugging coffee. I, I, I will not confirm or deny. Um, I'm feeling great. All right. That's clear. That's clear. <laughs> Shout out to our first strike producers, Jay Thomas Eaton, Jonathan Good, Kyle Smirchik, Sasha, oh, Derek Pite, Matthew Kelly, Adrian Merchantson, Isaiah Carrero. Um, all of you are key to the show. Um, shout out to everyone in chat. There's a lot of people in chat, and there's a lot of recognizable names. Shout out to Omar Belden. Shout out to Edgar. Um, always see him drop in on the show, so really cool to see one of the you know, top-known local players in the Ontario region jump in all the time. Super sweet. And uh, that's it. And shout-outs to, to Matt again for coming on the show. Um, it's, I think it's officially the first legacy uh, expert we've ever had on First Strike, I think. And it's like the first time we've ever covered legacy on First Strike. So super again, shout-outs to that guy. And uh, for Doug, Rob, and myself, anything else, guys? We will see you next week. And, uh, yeah, it, Hashtag Team First Strike. Let's go, Nation. We're doing this for you. Making you proud. Let's go. All right. All right. See you guys. Uh, Doug won't be here next week as we'll be uh, prepping for for the PT and and busy with other stuff. But uh, we will see you next Monday. Ciao.